in Beaver County, these Southern sympathizers then took brush, piled it in front of the mine, set the brush on fire, the smoke went back into the mine. There were like four or five slaves back there that were killed. So today, Chuck comes to speak to us about the Underground Railroad in Beaver County. The Townsend family was the premier family that dealt with the Underground Railroad early in Beaver County history. Is that right, Chuck? Ah, that's correct, Dave. Now, your family came to New Brighton in what era? In the early 1800s, uh, 1830s, somewhere around that time. We stole away in the black of the moon. We don't take nothing. Just a hatchet and some bread in a sack. We walk till I about give out. When my legs couldn't go no more, we laid by till starlight. We knew the North Star, how it would lead us out of slave country. Fix me for my journey home. Fix me, Jesus. Fix me. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. Welcome to this episode of the Little Beaver Historical Society Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Holowico. The Townsend family, the thing that's important with them, I guess, in relation to the Underground Railroad, uh, was that uh, they were Quakers. And because they were Quakers, uh, they were very much opposed to the oppression of people of any kind, and they were very peaceful people. And they uh, felt that uh, it was a, a moral, uh, an immorality of what was happening, particularly in the southern states, but also there was that presence in the uh, north as well. Now, I know many of your relatives uh, settled in New Brighton, and many of their houses still exist in New Brighton. These houses were used on the Underground Railroad to actually transport slaves and hide them, right, during their escapes? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the main focus of uh, New Brighton uh, becoming important in the uh, abolitionist movement uh, was its location, uh, particularly uh, being on the, uh, on the Beaver River, which was uh, very helpful. Uh, the flow of uh, slaves generally to this area would be uh, freedom seekers coming up from the south, uh, maybe coming up to around Georgetown or that area, uh, being uh, protected by uh, certain families in the what's called the south side of Beaver now. And then they were transported quite often to Bridgewater. And uh, there are several houses that you may be familiar with in Bridgewater, uh, that uh, one of which is still standing, uh, that were very prominent in, in hiding and protecting the slaves. From there, then at night, uh, quite often, the Quakers would come down from uh, New Brighton, pick up the eight or ten, however many slaves there were, and take them to the New Brighton area. And uh, the different towns and properties. Uh, some of them were equipped uh, to uh, take care of that. For example, the uh, David Townsend's flour mill uh, had some areas in it where they could hide slaves. 
uh, Robert Townsend, uh, which is now uh, the Spratt Funeral Home, uh, had it was a very large house uh, located on the river, and uh, there were uh, in the basement uh, places where the uh, slaves could be hidden. Probably the most uh, prominent of those was somebody you don't often hear about was ben, uh, Benjamin Townsend. Unfortunately, his uh, house no longer exists. It's uh, where the uh, New Brighton Middle School playing fields are now located. Uh, but he had a, a, a um, place where he stored vegetables and that sort of thing. Uh, and a, a trap door led from the house down into this area uh, where they uh, hid the slaves. Other Townsend houses, the William Penn Townsend house, uh, was also used for this uh, purpose uh, in New Brighton. I know you mentioned the uh, David Townsend flour mill, and it was on an island in the middle of the Beaver River, right? That's correct. So they would row the slaves to the island, spend the night, and when it, darkness came, they would row them across to to the other houses in New Brighton. That would be one of the approaches. You know, uh, If they were brought up uh, by boat, that was certainly the way, and that was common, although sometimes they were trans, uh, transported uh, in wagons or whatever uh, as well to the, uh, to the different houses. Now, a lot of people, when they think of the Underground Railroad, they think of the Civil War, but this predates the Civil War by many years, right? Yeah, I, I would imagine that in Beaver County particularly, and maybe throughout the nation, I don't know, that the uh, un the abolitionist movement probably uh, started being important as a movement in the 1830s. And, and particularly by the time you get to the 1840s and, and into the 50s, uh, it is a prominent uh, movement. First of all, in the early stages of it, it was uh, uh, quashed uh, by the powers that be uh, to suppress it. Uh, but as uh, more and more people became aware of the atrocities and what the degradation uh, that it was causing uh, to people, uh, there was a more of an uprising against it. In the early stages, uh, abolition and those who tried to protect the slaves uh, were sometimes beaten. Uh, for example, uh, some people who were publishing uh, pamphlets uh, had their presses smashed. They were uh, beaten up in the streets. And, uh, you know, it's a, a lot of uh, anger uh, directed at them by the powers that be uh, that were trying to uh, suppress a movement that would have primarily, I guess you would say, affect the economic interests of those involved. Now, New Brighton became one of the premier places in Western Pennsylvania for national abolitionists to visit. Uh, some of those national abolitionists, Frederick Douglass had visited New Brighton, right? I understand that he spoke several times in New Brighton. Uh, I have documentation in uh, a book written by uh, uh, William Lloyd Garrison of one of those trips. And this was a trip that William Lloyd Garrison and Frederick Douglass and others uh, came to New Brighton uh, under the invitation of my great-grandfather, uh, Milo Townsend, and his uh, wife, uh, Elizabeth. And uh, they came particularly to speak to the New Brighton abolitionists. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, we always think that the Quakers were unified uh, in their approach to uh, the slavery movement, but that was not so. For example, there were a large group of Hicksite Quakers living in New Brighton that were not abolitionists and were not opposed. And so when uh, Frederick Douglass and uh, William Lloyd Garrison came, that meeting house of the Quakers in New Brighton uh, was not available because of the Hicksite control of it. Uh, so 
Sometimes uh, I understand in New Brighton that the uh, First Presbyterian Church was used uh, for some of these uh, speeches. But in this particular occasion, which uh, took place in 1847, I believe, uh, when uh, these two people came, uh, they had to go to a store, a mercantile uh, establishment in New Brighton on the second floor. And at that uh, point, they gave the speech there. According to Garrison's uh, memoirs on this, before the event took place, there were a, a number, some rowdyism, as he called it, in the streets of people opposed to what was going on in there, but that was suppressed. And uh, so many people came. I, he said that there were like uh, up to 200 uh, that were meeting on this second floor of this store. And uh, there were also other people in the street that couldn't get in. It was a very hot night. A lot in the, the uh, garrison said that uh, he almost he almost melted, he said, uh, from the heat uh, that was uh, there. Uh, the one interesting little feature of that talk uh, where he talked, and of course everybody came to hear Frederick Douglass, they talked, and these speeches were not short little things. They could go on and on uh, for some time. But because they were on the second floor in the rafters, there were barrels and sacks of flour. And Garrison, uh, talking about that, uh, said that there were mice nibbling uh, on the barrels upstairs and that the flour would come down, sprinkling down through the rafters and land on people's clothes. And they had to wipe them off. He said he thought it was maybe the most flowery speech that he had ever given. <laughs> even even talking about slavery, we still have comedy. Comedy, involved, involved yes, exactly. So you you mentioned that Frederick Douglass was uh, stayed. I'm assuming he probably stayed at your great grandfather's house. And you also have something interesting that that you have in your possession from your great grandfather from Frederick Douglass. After this meeting, the next morning. Garrison and the others and Milo Townsend uh, took a very popular walk in New Brighton, and that was across the river and up to the heights, climb up the uh, bank, up to what was uh, called alum rocks. The alum rocks are still there. They were kind of white from the alum that was impregnated into the into the rocks. And so they went up and climbed up there and came down and everybody was exhausted. Frederick Douglass was so exhausted that he didn't even make that trip. Now the next morning, uh, well, that afternoon, late that afternoon, uh, Douglas and uh, Garrison and the others took a canal boat from New Brighton and their destination uh, was uh, Youngstown, Ohio. So they were going by canal boat. And uh, the interesting, an interesting letter that in my possession was one that Frederick Douglass wrote to my grandfather, the uh, great-grandfather, uh, in the next day or so once he had arrived at uh, Youngstown. And he said, uh, Dr. Peck, who was another member with him, uh, my dear Milo, Dr. Peck thought you would like to know how we have been treated on this boat, the canal boat. I therefore hasten to inform you that both captain and crew have treated us with the utmost kindness and politeness. We were all seated at the table together and took tea without the slightest objection from any one of the passengers. The steward was exceedingly kind and obliging. In haste, yours sincerely, with best regards to all the dear New Brighton friends, Canal Boat Ocean, August 15th, 1847, Frederick Douglass. So uh, Frederick was 
amazed that he was allowed, permitted to be seated with the other white passengers at the canal boat table, which was uncommon at that time. And according to my research and a lot of things that you have told me, this is the truth. Even though the northern states weren't slave states, they still had very little respect for a black man, no matter how educated he was. So for your grandfather to receive a letter like that, it's, it is amazing that in that time period that, that the gentleman was treated the way he was. Absolutely. So from New Brighton, your family transported them from the south side of Beaver County. And, and how did they reach the Darlington area, which was basically the next stop on the Underground Railroad in Beaver County? Well, I don't know the exact details of that passage. Most of that passage would take place at night, and it would be by wagon or horse or by foot. Uh, Sometimes uh, wagons with false bottoms were used. I can't guarantee that that occurred in these occasions, but it was a very common thing. But most of the transportation uh, would take place at night. Uh, the, The relationship between... New Brighton and the Darlington area was the Quakers in New Brighton. And in the Darlington area, the abolitionists had broken away from the Presbyterian church and had created what is called the free Presbyterian church. Free meaning freeing the slaves uh, from their bondage. Uh, one of the main leaders of that movement uh, was Arthur Bullis uh, Bradford, who was a giant of a man in relationship to all he did, both locally and nationally, uh, for the abolitionist movement. Uh, he was a minister. He had been trained at Princeton. Uh, he uh, spent some of his summers at an uncle's farm in uh, the South, where he was uh, shocked at what he saw there and became an uh, an opposition to uh, the uh, slavery system that was there. Uh, People in Princeton and other places had started what they called the colonization movement, where they were advocating moving the uh, freed slaves back to Africa and reestablishing colonies for them. And Bradford was very opposed to this approach. And he said, you know, it's, a, 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 it's an American problem and we must solve it here. And so he became determined to do that. Uh, he came uh, to Darlington as a, a minister to an established uh, church uh, in that location. Uh, which had been started many years earlier by uh, Reverend Hughes, and this was the Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. Interestingly enough, you can go there today and see that church, uh, the fourth building of it, but that same same church uh, and denomination. But it was from that denomination that he split and built in 1847 the Free Presbyterian Church in Darlington, which still stands. It's now called Reformed Presbyterian Church, but it still stands. There are uh, services there also every week. The Reformed Presbyterian Church, or the Free Presbyterian Church, is currently right down the street from our industrial museum. It is. It has a blue sign describing exactly what it was and how, why it is important. And interestingly enough, we have our meetings there. So we, we are in this historic church. 
a few years ago, we had a reenactor of Frederick Douglass, and he gave a fiery speech in that church. We have videos of that, and it was like you were there in the 1840s. It was, it was very interesting and really brought history to life. So, Charles, we talk about your great-grandfather. Another interesting thing, and I think you've told me this, is he started one of the abolitionist newspapers, right? Well, he was uh, involved uh, with the uh, with several of the newspapers, and he was the edit- editor uh, out of Lisbon uh, of the uh, uh, newspaper that was uh, published. The name escapes me right at the second, uh, but it was a prominent uh, underground uh, or abolitionist uh, newspaper. Now, my uh, now Milo Townsend himself uh, was. He was an editor. Uh, he was a bookseller. He he sold stationery. He published things and and ran things and uh, was uh, very much uh, involved in you know a variety of those uh, in, endeavors in the area. Explain the Fugitive Slave Act and how it affected the abolitionists. Uh, well, the Fugitive Slave Act uh, caused uh, the abolitionists to change some of the things that they could do and the way that they did them. The the, uh, the Slave Act itself said that you could be fined up to $1,000. Uh, you could spend time in jail if you were caught uh, harboring or protecting the, the slaves. Uh, so many of the abolitionists had to take a very practical stance, of which Bradford uh, did himself, and that was you find somebody to put your property in the hands of. So if you were caught harboring slaves, with Bradford at uh, Buttonwood, which was his home, he harbored probably, you know, several, maybe several hundred slaves, I don't know, over the span of, uh, of that time. Uh, if he would have been caught, he would uh, have probably lost his uh, property. So he put his property and his other holdings in the hands of a trusted friend, uh, and then that was returned to him after, of course, after the Civil War took place. You talked about the Cannelton area, and you mentioned one of the most horrific things that happened during the slave hunters era uh, before the Civil War. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, the uh, Morris family, and it's spelled M-O-R-E-S, uh, built a, a beautiful house there and was very prominent uh, as a underground uh, station. Uh, he had a number of slaves. Quite often, those slaves would have come through Old Black Hawk in South Beaver Township. They would come to Canelton, stay at the Morris House, and then moved on to Anchor in uh, in Ohio, where the golf course, East Palestine Golf Golf Course is. And from there, they would be taken to Salem. Uh, so. The Morris uh, family uh, had a large spring house behind them, which tradition has come down and said they hid many of the slaves in that area. However, also throughout Cannelton, it was called Cannelton because it was famous for mining cannel coal, uh, which was a very sought-after coal. Uh, There were a number of mines there, so slaves were often hidden in the mines. Uh, well, at one point, the uh, Southern sympathizers and bounty hunters uh, came there demanding uh, that they turn over the slaves. They uh, somehow discovered that some slaves were had been hidden in a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Walsh, his mine, 
and they demanded that those slaves come out. The slaves refused to come out because they knew what their fate would be. Uh, so they stayed in the mines. And the most brutal aspect of, uh, as far as I know, uh, of the uh, abolitionist movement and uh, slavery, anti-slavery movement in Beaver County was that these Southern sympathizers then took brush, piled it in front of the mine, uh, set the brush on fire, the smoke went back into the mine and uh, asphyxiated, killed all the slaves. There were like four or five uh, slaves back there uh, that were uh, killed. Another interesting story that I've heard from you, and this, this deals with Reverend Bradford, that he had, he had been told by a son that there were some, some abolitionists that were going to go kill some copperheads, which were Southern sympathizers and, and slavery people at a local inn. Can you tell us that story? Uh, yeah, that's a kind of an interesting side story. Uh, there was a family uh, living just outside of Darlington, and they had a tavern, and they were uh, Southern sympathizers. And Southern sympathizers were quite often called copperheads, and they they were on the main stage route, so the, the tavern was was very active. Well, one day, Arthur Bradford's son, who's also name was Arthur, was down in Enon Valley, which was the next town over from Darlington. And he had a, a, a horse that was very fast, and he was uh, racing with the other people in the, uh, uh, in the town. And then after that was over, uh, he went to pick up some groceries for his mother, who he had promised uh, that he would uh, bring uh, the f- some food home. There he heard uh, several people plotting to go out to the Douthat Tavern, and they were going to kill these copperheads. And they were drunk. The guys were drunk. So Arthur jumped on his horse, raced back to his father's place. Arthur uh, Bullis Bradford grabbed his gun off the uh, study wall, jumped on the horse, and rode over to the front of the tavern. And he got there before the guys got there, and he stood with uh, the gun in hand. And when these drunken rowdies showed up, uh, he said, Ho, stop. You know, you're not going to hurt these people. I know you are opposed, as I am, to what they stand for, but there will be no bloodshed today. And he said, the first man that comes my way, he raised the gun. He said, I'm going to shoot you in the tracks. Well, they were kind of drunk, and they said, rawr, 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 whatever they said. And they said, oh, I guess it's not worth it today. And so they took off. After that excitement was over, he looked at his gun, and he discovered that mud wasps had uh, built their nests uh, in the barrel of the gun. So if he would have fired it, uh, it would have probably blown him away uh, <laughs> rather than uh, the rowdies from uh, Enon Valley. It, it interests me, even though he was so opposed to slavery, that he would defend somebody that, that stood for it because violence was not the way that they saw to end the problem. Uh, that's correct. Uh, he, was, uh, he was very anti-violence. Uh, interesting enough, his life was threatened many times, and uh, he would travel around the country giving talks. And while he was in Philadelphia at one time, the uh, people in Philadelphia, the society that the abolition society was spo- speaking to, gave him a sword, uh, and it was a, uh, a, a sword cane. So it looked like a cane would have a sword hidden uh, to defend himself. 
fortunately, he never had to use it. Uh, and as a as a young person, as a young young man, young child, uh, I would often go out to the Bradford Place and his study, which was separate from the house. Now, you might ask, which you won't ask, but I'll tell you anyway, why did he have a study uh, separate from the house? Well, he had 11 children. You ever try to write a tract or prepare a sermon, I guess, with 11 children rushing around? So he built this study a separate. When I was a kid, uh, the Townsends and the Bradfords, since the days of the abolitionist movement, had always stayed friends. In fact, is my father would spend his summers out at the Bradford uh, house. Of course, William Bulls Bradford was long gone, but his relatives uh, still lived there. So I would go over there and I'd go into the study, and the study was set up in such a way that it would, just as though he had risen from his desk and gone outside uh, to take a stroll. All his books were there. There was his pens and there was paper on the desk. Uh, there were some artifacts on the wall. There was a pith helmet uh, that always, as a young person, uh, interested me. I saw the gun, the famous mud wasp gun, would hang there. And also on the wall was the sword cane. Whatever happened to these artifacts, I have no idea. They disappeared. The study itself became so deteriorated that uh, it was torn down uh, probably in the 70s. I know we have some of Bradford's uh, books and uh, upstairs in the academy. Did those come out? Of, were those in the study or were those in, in the house? Uh, those were in, in the study. Uh, we, I, we were able to save uh, through Marge Douthat. Uh, isn't it interesting? Because uh, the Bradfords had defended the Douthats at the tavern, and years later, uh, Marge. Bradford married one of the Douthats. So Marge Douthat was the last remaining relative in this area uh, of the of uh, Arthur Bullis Bradford. Uh, when apparently when she tore down, they had to tear down the study. She donated that study or a lot of it, not the gun, not the cane, right. not the pith helmet, the things that most enarmored a little kid like myself at the time. But she gave the whole library and some other. Uh, artifacts from that. And I just recently talked to Ryan O'Shea on a podcast about New Brighton, and we talked about the Underground Railroad in New Brighton and what Beaver County has done to promote the Underground Railroad. So Beaver County has put together pamphlets to show the houses in New Brighton and also in Darlington. On that, there are many houses right in downtown, right? Uh, there's one right across from our Red Brick Museum. Yeah, there are these three houses uh, in Darlington that were well-known. You've got to remember that the Underground Railroad movement was an underground movement. Right. So the houses that were used were not always uh, well-known. In fact, is they hopefully were not well-known. So some of that history is kind of amorphous. It's kind of hidden. But there are at least three houses in Darlington well-documented uh, as uh, part of the Underground Railroad. Probably the most famous was the Sprott Wallace House, which is still barely standing, uh, but it's still standing. And the Martin House, which is it's a beautiful house, been very well maintained. And the third one is one that never was said to be a particular person's house, but it's a residence right at the corner of uh, 168 and Pump Street. It had a hidden basement and tunnel under it that uh, some people had explored 
a number of years ago. The Sprott Wallace House, which I mentioned, a beautiful mansion uh, on the hill overlooking Darlington, had a mine behind it. And that mine is still available. It hasn't collapsed. You can still see it behind there. And supposedly, uh, slaves were sometimes hidden if they had to be put out of sight, uh, hidden in there for a period of time. So I know recently we, we all talked about this, and I, I'd like to share it with people that you and Brenda Applegate and some others have been trying to get Beaver County on the, what is it, the National Underground Railroad Museum site or designation? Yeah, designation for uh, an underground railroad site. We're working towards uh, New Brighton, uh, Darlington, and Bridgewater. And this is sponsored under the auspices of the uh, National Park uh, Service. And uh, it's a long and arduous process. Probably will take years. We have now applied th- uh, in Darlington uh, for inclusion in that. Uh, soon applications will be made for New Brighton. Bridgewater is going to be a little more difficult because the required documentation is harder to come by there. So hopefully uh, we have applied uh, for that site primarily at this point uh, through the Free Presbyterian Church, which I talked about previously, and we have uh, sent in the history of that and uh, how it was essential to that. Interesting also to Darlington, and we will probably uh, work at getting that approval as well, uh, is the uh, academy itself, Greersburg Academy, because it was a center in the Darlington area for abolitionist uh, movements. In fact, is there is the Greersburg Resolution of 1836. There are only three resolutions that I know of in Beaver County against slavery. And the first one was in Darlington and was done right on the ground floor of the academy. And it says, among other things, that every man who joins a mob is a traitor to his country, and by so doing lends his influence to the introduction of anarchy and the demolition of our federal constitution. That was put in there because there was so much mob activity against the abolitionists, and their lives were quite often uh, you know, on the line. And so this resolution is the first resolution. One was also made in uh, Chippewa. I have not seen that one. I don't know if there's a copy of it uh, available. And the third one, which is also very adequate, very well stated, uh, was one that was made in New Brighton. It's, it's hard to believe, and I'm sure a lot of people don't understand how important this area was for the Underground Railroad. We always think of the Underground Railroad of coming through the states. And, and it, it, this brings it to life. These places still exist. Your relatives were involved in this. These were local people that were looking to do what they thought was right and what we all know to be right, that slavery wasn't a, was not what we should be doing. So when it comes to the end of the Civil War, what happened to all these organizations? Did they just fall by the wayside? And, and uh... Well, their work was done. They had achieved their goal. People who were involved in these things moved on to, uh, quite often, to other issues, I'm sure. I know my uh, great-grandfather, Milo, uh, moved on to women's suffrage uh, and um, the uh, temperance uh, movement and other things like that. And uh, 
looking at the problems of the poor. He wrote a, a booklet saying how uh, people had a responsibility to help those uh, less fortunate. Uh, for example, then the Free Presbyterian Church in Darlington, as an example, it no longer had a primary role. Uh, its job was done. Uh, so it became a, a Reformed Presbyterian Church, a Covenanter Church at that time. It still maintains that title, Reformed Presbyterian, but it's a regular Presbyterian Church. Just by way of side, also in Beaver County, and we have not focused on that here, and I don't have, I, I never delved into it, but supposedly also the Covenanters were very helpful in uh, fighting against the, the slavery. So it seems like these people were very, very much into social problems. And when, when the slavery was done, they, they saw other social problems that needed change and they worked to change them. Yeah, I believe that's uh, true in, in many cases. Well, I know we could sit here and talk for hours, Chuck, because you and I do this often and often enough around the fire at the museum. But I want to thank Chuck Townsend for visiting us today and giving us some insight on the Underground Railroad in Beaver County. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you, Dave. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. Lord, I'll go if I have to go by my Go, go if I have to go by my